Why is it that God sometimes seems to use the most unlikely people to serve his purposes? You look at some people's lives and all the bad things are just so obvious, and yet it seems that, for some reason, this is the person God wants to use. Then you see all the blessings that come from them, and it seems so unfair when you're trying to be what God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do, and yet your life seems to you to have so little blessing compared to theirs. The first thing to say is that comparing yourself with others is the road to ruining your faith. Yes, God may seem to be using that person who plays fast and loose with sin. And yes, God may bring about more visible results from that person than he seems to be bringing from your life. But as Paul says in Romans 14, who are you to judge another one of God's servants? That servant is answerable to God for their life and you're answerable to God for your life. So don't lose sight of what's important, your relationship with the Lord, your love for him, your walk with him, and all the joy that brings. Who knows, maybe they're looking at your life and wondering how God can use someone like you filled with bitter envy. And sometimes, when you think you see God's blessing and strength working in another brother or sister in the church who isn't following the Lord like you think they should, what you're actually seeing is a pale version of what was supposed to be. And if that person had walked closer to the Lord, obeyed and loved him instead of being self-centred, then the Lord could have done so much more with them and brought so much more glory to his name. We only see how much God seems to be using them but the Lord sees all that could have been done through their lives and now won't be achieved because of their sin and compromise. So the question is, what ministry, fruitfulness and joy is missing from my own life because of my self-centred sin and compromise and what should I do about it? Now, all this is an introduction to one of the most disappointing characters in the Bible, Samson, a man of such promise who if it wasn't for God stepping in and helping him when disaster struck, would have ended up a complete failure. Thank God that he's gracious enough still to use us even when we're complete failures. But think for a moment about all the promise there was in Samson. Announced to his barren, mother-to-be, by the angel of the Lord no less, to be a miracle baby given to the Israelites as a saviour to start delivering them from the power of their greatest enemy, the Philistines. As you read it, you can't help but think of the announcement of the angel Gabriel many years later to Mary about the saviour she would bear. And Samson, dedicated as a Nazarite to God from birth, was to be taught to live in a close relationship with the Lord, with a strict set of rules for his life to show that he was set apart for the Lord's work from the day of his birth until the day of his death. Then think about the angel returning to talk to Samson's father, Manoah, to confirm all he told Manoah's wife about the baby. And again, you can't help but think of Joseph, hearing from the angel about the baby Mary was carrying and that it was okay to marry her. This was no ordinary baby and no ordinary boy. His parents named him Samson and he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. What tremendous potential there was in Samson, with the calling and the anointing of the Lord on his life. The scene set by these opening verses is pregnant with expectancy, and you find yourself asking what will become of this young man, what incredible things will the Lord do through him. 
The truth is, God did do some startling miracles through Samson as he kept his promise to use Samson to start to save his people from the Philistines. But that's only part of the picture, because the sad fact is that Samson could or should have done so much more. But instead, for nearly all his life, what mattered to Samson wasn't God, but Samson. What he saw, he wanted, and what he wanted, he took, even if it was expressly forbidden. Day by day, he played fast and loose with sin, convincing himself that he could do whatever he wanted and somehow God wouldn't notice or God wouldn't mind and that there wouldn't be any consequences of his sin. And so he compromised. He compromised on purity and allowed himself to be led by the lust of his eyes. He compromised on holiness, touching things he was forbidden to touch, the dead body of a lion he killed earlier, for example. And he compromised on loyalty to God and to his people, feeling no compulsion to avoid those who hated God. He kept company with the enemy, the Philistines, seeking their approval instead of seeking to set his people free. And so, ultimately, he compromised his mission, his calling. Instead of leading the people of Israel to victory, at one point we find him alone in a cave, afraid of his own people, a self-absorbed loner when a leader was needed. And still God used him. A thousand enemy warriors killed with the only weapon he could find to hand, the fresh jawbone of a dead donkey, something he shouldn't even have been touching, and yet God delivered him. But how much more could it have been? What potential was lost? What glory missed? What praise to the Lord unheard because of this man's selfish sin? For sin is a thief. It steals away opportunities for the Lord to work in our lives and the lives of others. It cuts short our work and weakens our witness. And yet, God still used Samson. But by then, Samson didn't realise he was captive to sin. Having survived all this time playing fast and loose with the things of God, he started to feel invincible. And after having broken all the other rules of being a Nazarite, apart from the one about not cutting his hair, Samson was led again by the lust of his eyes. He saw an attractive Philistine woman, and what he saw he wanted, even though what he wanted was wicked. And so the ridiculous game began between Samson and Delilah. Oh, Samson, she complained. You don't love me if you're keeping secrets from me? Well, in return, she had no love for anything other than the 5,500 pieces of silver she'd get when she found out the secret of his strength and disarmed this great hulking dummy so he could be taken away and treated like the fool he was. Joseph, many years earlier, had run from sin to avoid it at great cost, but not Samson. The man dedicated to God from birth, no, he didn't consider he had any need to run, Instead, locked in a cycle of selfish sin, he had to face his own kind of punishment as the woman, lusting after riches, nagged and nagged until he was sick to death of her wheedling and whining and could take no more. You want to know the real secret of my strength, he asked. Of course she did. Every time he told her the most ludicrous lie in the past about the secret of his strength, she'd gone out of her way to make sure it happened. Of course she wanted to know. If she found out, not only would she be rich, but she'd be rid of him. And so Samson, at last worn down by her nagging, revealed his secret. The hair on my head has never been cut since the day of my birth, 
because I'm a Nazarite, dedicated and set apart from God, he told her. If you shave the hair off my head, then I'll be as weak as any other man. Did he really believe it? Surely he had to know what she'd do. After all, she'd done everything else he'd previously told her would make him weak. But I guess he simply thought himself untouchable, that God would never leave him. And so the scene was set for the farce to be played out. Delilah, knowing that she had the truth, sent at once for the rulers of the Philistine to bring her her money. Heaven knows she'd earned it. A hapless barber, trembling like a leaf, hiding in a side room, waiting for the fool to drink himself to sleep. And then the hushed tones and terrified glances between the barber and Delilah as they tried to hold the head of the fool still while all his hair was shaved clean off. And then the triumph of the victory, the arrogance in her voice as Delilah called out to the sleeping shaven fool, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are coming. He stirred and then got to his feet, shaking his head to clear his mind and getting ready for the rout. Surely it'll be like last time, he thought. I'll be free in a moment. But then we read perhaps one of the saddest lines in the Bible, for it says he didn't know the Lord had left him. How deeply he had sunk into sin, that he couldn't even tell that he was now alone, that God had turned his face away, and that he was now as weak as any other man. And yet, it was then that God stepped into Samson's life with a great act of grace, because the Lord allowed the Philistines to gouge out his eyes. It had always been the lust of his eyes that had led Samson astray, wanting what he saw and being deceived by shallow beauty. But now that was gone. Never again would a pretty face lead him astray, for it could be truly said that, now his eyes were gone, Samson could finally see. And it took his capture by the Philistines, the loss of his eyes and being bound in bronze shackles and locked away in a dungeon to get him there. But Samson's hair was slowly starting to grow again. To rub salt into the wound, so to speak, Samson's slide into sin and defeat ended up with the Philistines praising their God for the capture of their greatest enemy. It should have been Samson leading the Israelites in victory against the Philistines to the praise and glory of the God of Israel. But thankfully, even in this mess, God would show just how jealous he is for the glory of his name. For inside the temple of their god, Dagon, a temple so big that 3,000 could stand on the roof, let alone all the others inside, the Philistines celebrated and rejoiced at the capture of Samson. But then one bright spark had a wonderful idea. Why don't we get that blindfold Samson to come here and perform for us all to see and be entertained? And so Samson was brought and he performed for them inside their temple. Then... After his first performance, as he paused among the pillars in the temple, Samson called to the servant who was leading him around, Can you put me by the pillars that support the temple, so that I can rest against them? Why should the servant think anything of it? Samson was a blind, defeated fool, and maybe he needed a rest before he was called to perform again. So he took Samson to the pillars. But when Samson got there, he had no intention of resting. Instead, he prayed calling out to the god he'd ignored and treated so badly over the years, but who now he knew. O oh God, he prayed, please, 
Strengthen me this one last time, and let me, with one blow, repay the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. And God, jealous for the glory of his name, heard and strengthened his servant Samson. And putting his right hand against one pillar, and his left hand against the other, Samson pushed with all the strength that God had given him. The pillars started to crack and crumble. The people didn't have time to run or even realise what was happening until it was too late. And as he pushed, Samson prayed, Let me die with my enemies. And with a mighty crash, the building collapsed, killing Samson and everyone else inside, including all the rulers of the Philistines. And so we see the grace of God in action. Samson was given as a saviour to start to set his people free from the power of their enemy. He should have done it trusting and walking with the Lord. What might have been then, no one will ever know. Yet, in his grace, God still used Samson to start to set his people free. Because in his death, Samson killed more of the enemy than he had in the whole of his life. And because all their rulers, leaders, generals and commanders were inside that temple when it collapsed, the Philistines weren't able to trouble Israel again for a very long time. And the message for us? Don't be like Samson and play fast and loose with sin. Yes, God can still use you, but it won't be all it could be. So, instead, decide today that you're not going to settle for second best that you're going to go all out for God. Follow him wholeheartedly and leave behind everything that slows you down. For then, only heaven knows what wonderful things God will do with a life like that.